our scripture reading today, we're going we're gonna to read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You can uh, find it in your pew Bibles on page 1502-1502. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it be reconciled in Christ. So we've been going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we finally arrived at what is known as the antithesis. This is a portion of Jesus' message where he puts forth seven statements, beginning with, you have heard that it was said, and ending with, but I tell you. But before we dive in, let's do a, a quick review. If you, if you remember, Jesus began by blessing his disciples, saying things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he does this because, because true transformation, it, it doesn't begin with obedience, but it begins through God's blessings. And from there, Jesus moved forward by, by giving his disciples a new identity. They were now the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And meaning that they were to preserve the faith and let their good deeds shine before men in order that others may praise their Father in heaven. And then last week, we, we, we saw how Christ related to the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. Rather, he came to fulfill them. In other words, all of God's word points to him. And because of this, it needs to be read in, in such a manner. Jesus was giving to us his authoritative interpretation of God's word. And as part of this interpretation, Jesus said that your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So when you come to God's law, you need a righteousness that isn't outward focused. Instead, you need to be inwardly cleansed. Basically, you, you need a new heart. And this will be important to remember as we continue forward. For, for in the following verses, Jesus speaks as to what a clean heart looks like. Like I said, seven times Jesus will use this phrase, You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. 
What you have to understand is that Jesus is not changing God's word here. Rather, he is correcting people's misunderstanding of the law's intent. In other words, he, he is showing the true direction to which God's word points. And in his first corrective, he addresses one of the Ten Commandments. Look at verses 21 and 22 again. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. When I lived in Thailand, there was always this time of year when I would let my anger fester within me. You see, every year I would have to renew my, my work permit and visa. And it seemed like every year the government would add in some new little wrinkle that that's something new that I would have to do, making my life a hectic mess. Of course, on the outside, I was always polite to people, putting a smile on my face and constantly saying, kop kun kop, which means thank you in Thai. But on the inside, I was calling people names in Thai, such as kon tutri, which means corrupt person. Or konmo, which means fool. Needless to say, I was harboring some deep-seated resentment towards the Thai government and the people who worked for them. But according to Jesus, what I was truly concealing were the seeds of murder. Now in our passage, this, this word raka it simply means to be empty-headed. It was something that a, that a child might say when, when making fun of a younger sibling. It was similar to the word fool, kind of carrying that same connotation. You see, these, these things that seem so innocent to us are really not that innocent. For, the, for they reveal what is truly in our hearts. They, they are the beginnings of murder. And Jesus says that the, the penalty for such things is very, very harsh. Now this, this Sanhedrin that he mentions, it was, it was kind of the premier Jewish council which met in Jerusalem. According to Jewish law, none could, could appeal higher. They, they were like the supreme court of their day. And this, this group of men had the, had the power to put a criminal to death. What Jesus is communicating is this, that by simply saying the word raka, a person would be an answerable to the Sanhedrin. In other words, this was a capital offense worthy of death. And by calling a person a fool, one would be in danger of the fires of hell, a fate worse than death. Of course, only God can send a person to hell. And so Jesus shows us that there is even a, a loftier court than the Sanhedrin that people will have to face. 
a court with a stricter judgment. What is Jesus doing here? He's basically telling his disciples that, that their anger is not a minor issue. Because deep down, it comes from a desire to kill. Here, here's the problem. When, when, a, when a man is angry, he, he's usually the last to see it. When I was grumbling over my visa troubles in Thailand, I, I never really considered myself to be an angry man. I just, I just thought that I was right and they were wrong. But this, this is exactly where anger stems from. You put yourself in the judgment seat and lack any love for the, for the person that has wronged you. And it's a failure to look at your own heart. Instead of, instead of trusting in God to look after you, to resolve your problems, you want justice for yourself. And so what you do is you, you store up this anger within, planting the seeds of murder. Now you might be saying to yourself, is anger really that bad? I mean, after all, didn't, didn't Jesus get angry? Didn't he turn over the, the money tables at the temple in Jerusalem? And didn't he show his wrath towards, towards the Pharisees? By calling them blind fools? Yes, he did all of that. But the, but the anger of Christ was a righteous anger. You see, there are times when anger is appropriate. Namely, when the, when the goodness of God is perverted for evil purposes. For example, you, you may be provoked to anger when you read about a, a baby that is left uh, abandoned in a garbage bin. Or you, may, you might feel rage within yourself when you hear about a school shooting and 20 are left dead. These are examples of righteous anger. It's when you have a longing for God's justice. But what makes anger sinful is when you no longer want God's justice, but you want to create your own Justice. This is why Paul said to the church in Ephesus, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. What Paul was saying here is that, that it's okay to feel angry for a righteous reason. In fact, it is a natural response that we have. But you can't let it fester. Because when you do, you'll be tempted to seek vengeance. Vengeance is where these little words come from. Words like raka and you fool. Words like kontutri or kongo. They're, they're our little ways of enacting our own justice. This is why Jesus began his sermon with the, with the blessings. And Jesus said, blessed are the meek. For it is the meek who have learned not to sin in their anger. They learn to give those things over to God. And it's, it's not that they don't want justice. 
They do. But they have learned to to release this desire for revenge over to God, allowing Him to enact His justice. But Jesus doesn't finish there. You see, not, not only are there times when you get angry, but there are also times when others are angry at you. Look at verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. The setting of this little story is in the temple in Jerusalem. A man is there to worship the Lord by offering a sacrifice on the altar. It's a time when he should be reflecting upon the sin in his own life. So, of course, what does he think about? His brother, whom he has wronged and is angry at him. So what does Jesus say that this man should do? He should, he should leave his gift there on the altar and go back to his brother and be reconciled. Now, think about Jesus' audience. He, he was preaching this message in Galilee. The majority of the people would have lived roughly 70 miles from Jerusalem. What Jesus was suggesting was, was for them to, to leave their offering there in Jerusalem, make the journey home, reconcile with their brother, and then go back another 70 miles in order to finish the offering that they had wanted to give in the first place. This is the is lengths that they should go to in order to make peace with one another. In other words, before you go to God looking for forgiveness, you should first try to square things with your brother or with your sister. Dear friends, don't let anything be a barrier to reconciliation. It may not be 70 miles that you need to travel. In fact, the, the, the big hurdle might just be your own pride. But don't let that stop you. Because you won't have peace with God until you have peace with your brothers and with your sisters. But there's more to it than that. You see, reconciliation isn't just about you. It isn't only for the ease of your own conscience. No, you do it for the sake of your brother, for the sake of your sister. Listen, not, not only do you need to let go of your own anger, but you should do everything in your power to make sure that your brother has let go of his. If you truly, truly love him, how could you not? But as we'll see, Jesus, he's going to take it one step further. Look at our last verses, verses 25 and 26. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, 
Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Our setting now is on the, on the road to a courtroom. And it isn't your brother that is angry at you, but your adversary. The only reason somebody takes someone to court is because they are furious over something they have done. So this, this adversary, this, he isn't a person that you're fond of, like a brother or a sister. No, he is your enemy. But what does Jesus suggest for you to do? Settle matters quickly. Why? Because once it gets into the hands of others, those who are paid to be objective, once it goes to the, to the judge, you can no longer try to reconcile your difference. Instead, an impartial man will decide your fate. A man who, who doesn't think about mercy or forgiveness, but only justice. His job is to declare a verdict, one that is just and right. And the implication that, that Jesus gives here is that you are guilty. And once this judge is, is done with you, he will hand you over to the officer. Another man who, who just doesn't care about mercy, but a man who, who follows orders and administers such justice. That is his job. He will throw you into prison without pity. And you will stay there until your debt is paid down to the very last penny. You see, your, your, your only hope can come from your adversary, your, your enemy. Only he can offer forgiveness and mercy. But you have to do it quickly. Because if you wait too long, your opportunity for mercy will be long gone. And all that will be left is justice. So what is the point of all of this? Why is Jesus expounding on such a simple command? If you go to Exodus 20, verse 13, you will find four simple words. You shall not murder. And yet Jesus reveals the heart of such a command. Murder stems from within you. And when you, when you hold on to your anger and seek your own form of justice. But what God desires for you is reconciliation. That means letting go of your anger and allowing God to handle matters when you've been wronged. It means forgiving the one that hurt you and showing them love instead of anger. But it also means that you are to go to the ones that you have offended, allowing them to let go of their anger as well. For this is what it means to love your neighbor, which is really the whole point of the law. Is it not? So 
So why does Jesus command you to behave in this manner? Because this is exactly what he has done for you. Listen, if, if anyone has the right to be angry with you, it is God. And his is a righteous anger. Because, you're, because of your sin, you, you have corrupted what God has created to be good. And in doing so, he has become your adversary. But where we must, must let go of our anger, God must not. For his holiness demands justice. You see, in, in Jesus' last story, God fills three of those four roles. He is the adversary taking you to court. And he is the judge deciding your fate. And he is the officer administering justice. This is why in Romans 2 verse 5 we read this. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God has the ability to, to store up his anger without it consuming him. When he brings vengeance upon a person, he does so not because he feels slighted or, or he was unfairly treated, but simply because that is what justice demands. He is like that just judge who doesn't let his emotions decide his verdict. He simply looks at the crime and convicts. And he, he is also like that officer that, that, who takes this verdict and punishes the criminal. He, he tosses the, the guilty party into prison, not letting them out until they have paid the last penny. And yet, because he is also the one whom you have sinned against, he is your adversary and capable of showing you mercy. This is what we read about in our first scripture reading, Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because Christ died on the cross, paying the penalty for your sin, you can come to him before he takes you to court. This is why Jesus said, settle matters quickly. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Jesus wants you to be urgent. The day of judgment is coming. And unless you find forgiveness and mercy at the cross, then you'll be handed over to the judge. And all that you will have left is a verdict of guilty. Now you may be asking yourself, how can this be? How can God forgive me? What about his justice? This is the beauty of Jesus. Not only is he the adversary, the very one you have offended, 
the one from whom you need forgiveness, but he is also the one who makes restitution on your behalf. Through his blood shed upon the cross, he is able to pay every last penny. Listen to Romans 5, verses 9 through 11. Since we, have been, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you see it? You were once God's enemies, deserving of punishment, and yet God has wiped your sins away, reconciling you to His Father. Jesus has fulfilled the command, you shall not murder. And the way he did it was through reconciliation. And now he's telling you, as kingdom people, go and be reconciled. Let go of your anger and forgive the one who has offended you. Be reconciled with the ones you have wronged allowing them to forgive you. And then go back to the altar. Go back to Jerusalem and look to Christ. For it is only through Him where you can find reconciliation with God. Let us pray. Father, too often we, we let our anger fester. We don't seek to love our neighbor, but only seek justice. Yet that is not how you have treated us. You have reconciled us to yourself by sending your son as a payment for our sins. We ask now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may learn to let go of our own anger and forgive as you have forgiven us. And we ask that you would give us the courage to, to go to the people that we have wronged and seek reconciliation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.